guys, welcome back to YBF Politics. We've got another special guest, and this time it's very different than our typical, but I think it's perfect because it's not talked about enough with this fabulous YBF chick knows, is basically an expert in. Um, so I brought her on because I want her to break everything down that we need to know about the Green New Deal. And we don't talk about climate change enough, y'all. So we're going to do it today, but we're going to do it in a very fun way, I think. <laughs> so please welcome to the YBF Podcast and YBF Politics, the Director of Climate Policy at the Roosevelt Institute, and one of the writers of the much-buzzed-about congressional um, resolution, the Green New Deal, uh, which she says is a collaborative project. And she also can very much appreciate a good Real Housewives reference. That's why I love her. So please welcome... <laughs> Miss Rihanna Gunwright. Hello. Hi. Oh my God. I'm just shook right now because I was just watching Real Housewives of Potomac. Shut up. I have to also catch- best franchise. Period. Point blank. This out okay, there right but now. not always. Not always. No, not always. But the last two seasons. True. Were the last two seasons they have come. They came to play. Okay. So I haven't yeah. caught up on this both recent episode, but they have stressed me all the way out this season. Monique and Candace are all the way out. Yeah, the reactions to it, the the like levels. I've had a lot of conversations with a friend of mine about like violence and like emotional violence and physical violence and like where do you which why do we treat one as very different than the other and we had like very different ideas. It brings up a lot. It like the level of debates because people don't think. This has nothing to do with climate change, but it needs to be discussed. Like, people don't think that your mouth can and verbal abuse is a thing. And right. that's a problem. I'm not saying that it's 100% equal to physical abuse, but I'm saying you have to accept responsibility for your verbal abuse as well. Unprovoked verbal abuse. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, and that's what she was saying. And, like, I agree, but I also felt like, I don't know. And I, maybe it was just me and I haven't like, I haven't watched world star in like years. <laughs> like it was like the, the, it was ferocious in a way that oh, I didn't oh, expect. And I was just like, I was shaken up by it. It also reminded me like growing up in the hood, how I've always had complicated feelings about physical violence. Cause I understand where it comes from. And I, I totally agree about verbal abuse and like, pushing people, but I also have always had really complicated feelings about the speed at which like a physical response is deemed. Right. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't necessary. You know, and like, and so I, it was really complex, but it brought up and then like representation and there was all these conversations about black women. Which by the way, Ashley Darby rolling her eyes at that annoyed me as well. Cause Ashley, you don't deal with the kind of stuff that a brown skinned black woman has to deal with when it comes to that prejudice. So that annoyed me, but whatever. Yeah, I got that. I wasn't for the representation or like the respectability politics because like black women are, I think should and always be allowed like a full range of emotions and expressions. Physical violence is like not okay. Uh, Verbal abuse is not okay. And yeah, I didn't like the way she rolled her eyes. Like I got it, but it was also, (laughs) Wendy was being like very extra about it. Right. Uh, And like front line, like. Well, Wendy doesn't like Monique. So that's, 
Right. And so it was like a lot of things. Actually, this does tie into the conversation because it's so political. They're in the D.C. area and their friendship is political. And that's why certain people sided with Monique and certain people sided with, even though actually you weren't even, you were in the bathroom, girl, you were in the bathroom. So you really don't have a So that was the other thing. I was like, oh, you weren't there. And, and like, yeah, I didn't, she wasn't there. So that kind of bothered me. Yeah. And, um, and it was just like, but I also like, didn't like them trying to make out Monique like she was an animal right, or security. Right. Like she's no, not just out here throwing hands. Well, you know that's how you know at like security. You know I know, but I know I, I it was forgot. it was fun, but it I was just forgot. like yeah, I forgot that Monique has popped off on people. So when when Bravo was doing the montage, I was yes! like, it was like every year she's like either like, gotten oh, into a physical altercation. Yeah. Or she's like, like, this isn't who I am. Physical- and they were like, no, it is who you are. And I was like, dang, they did bring out the receipts. I don't know, Monique. I think she needs help. I think there's way bigger things happening. I think Candace was the straw that broke the camel's back that kept yeah. just being in her ear. I think she needs professional help and we'll leave it at yeah. that. Yeah. And I think, yeah, and I think it was the the criminal justice element also brought in a question of, like, that's a violence, too, right? And, like, so we're actually dealing with, like, escalating violence, yeah. you know? Now and it's, like, like, second degree attempted assault, like, girl. Like, yeah. now the courts are involved in yeah. jail time, and, like, yeah. and that's... To go to jail. It's a lot, but I'm going to catch up, and we're going to talk about it offline. Okay. So. Yeah. <laughs> In other political news, (laughs) um, you are one of the writers of the Green New Deal, and we're going to get into what the Green New Deal is and why it matters right now. Um, The election is literally around the corner. um, So why it matters for this election and even future elections. um, I just I want to get into it. I don't think that we as black people talk about this enough. Even when I was trying to find a climate expert or someone who knew about the Green New Deal, I couldn't find anyone black to talk about it. And then I know I knew you personally. So I'm like, it's gotta be her. Um, but dang, like this is, it was kind of difficult to find. Why do you think this is such a hard topic for, for people in general? So, so I think it's a number of things. And the first thing it's really interesting when you're like, it was really hard to find a black expert on climate. The thing is there's a bunch of them, but this comes back to, uh, something that I'll talk about, like why, um, why maybe we don't talk about climate change more in the black community, um, is like those climate experts are often uh, called environmental justice activists, mm-hmm. right? And those ex now environmental justice is a very real field, mm-hmm. uh, and it's really important. And so environmental justice is essentially. Um, I don't know if you would call it, it's a movement uh, and it's based on um, basically um, the reality that the environment is divided and experiences of physical environments is very divided by race, right? It's one of the other ways that we have imprinted racism. So we usually talk about redlining, right? Uh, The government practice of structure home loans uh, and then banks of like not giving home loans, et cetera, that kept black people in marginalized 
communities, low income, often inner city, et cetera. Uh, and so we talk about that, but environmental justice is about uh, both redlining, but also recognizing that like more uh, fossil fuel pollution is in black neighborhoods, right? More uh, fossil fuel facilities uh, are in black neighborhoods. Black folks are exposed to toxic pollution at levels that are far higher than white folks, right? I'm gonna mess up the exact statistics, but I think it's something like 75% of black people oh, live wow. near toxic air pollution. Uh, and I might actually have it flip because the Latino um, percentage is higher. So it might, that actually might be Latino communities, but either way, yeah. um, we know that it's like double, triple the amount of exposure. Uh, and that's by design, it's not on accident. So environmental justice is about calling out the ways that um, legacies of racism and oppression and colonialism have uh, actually divided our physical environment and put black people and, and other people of color, uh, mm -hmm. particularly Latinx communities have put them um, in, in environments that are less healthy and they have access to fewer uh, resources uh, and just dirtier, more polluted environments than, than white folks. And, uh, and it's also really about calling out uh, the health consequences of that, right? The fact that that leads to higher levels of asthma, et cetera. But also environmental justice also makes a really important intervention where they say that like, it's not just trees, right, and polar bears and nature, right? The physical environment, it's also about policing, right? Like it's also about the all quality of your schools. All of that is part of your physical environment and it's all uh, unjust, right, in, in the U.S. And so that is, uh, that's like a sort of a body of work, of study, of uh, sort of social movement theory, et cetera, um, that that's over, that's sort of very present, but often black people get sort of dumped into that, even if that's not the backing of their work. So like a lot of people call me an environmental justice activist or advocate, which my work is very shaped by that, but I would not call myself that, mm -hmm. right? In the sense that I'm not embedded in those movements, I think in the like day in day out way, but because I'm black, people just like throw me there. And so that's different because when you actually, if you like Google climate expert, mm -hmm. they're largely white because they're not tagged environmental justice, even if they talk about equity all day. Right. It just is. That's um, so that's one thing. So there is a bit of um, like uh, siloing of people of color in the environmental movement. And then I think just the environmental movement for a long time really targeted white and affluent folks, because a lot of it was about at least the things that I think most of us grew up with, reduce, reuse, recycle, et cetera. That's all very individual action. Right. And the only the people who have the most control over their individual actions are folks with more money. Right. right. So if you're talking about like carbon footprints or whatever, you're going to miss a bunch of people because it's sort of exclusionary on its face. Who can afford solar panels? Right. right. To just put on their house out of no, you know, like that's 
Um, so that's part of it. And then there was like, I think um, during the sort of Al Gore, <laughs> global warming, inconvenient truth, that was really helpful. But again, the focus was on the natural world right which is very important um but the fact is environment involves people right and if you're not talking about climate change in the ways that people experience it you're gonna miss them especially black people so like I didn't get into climate or environmental work really until I moved to Detroit and then started working on the Green New Deal um because my background was in like welfare like I worked on welfare policy um higher education policy around like student parents so how do you um students who have children how do they get into school and continue um you know sort of the things that are um known sort of social issues that affect people of color especially low-income folks largely uh and so when i'm i mean when i was doing work on student parents I mean, I would be talking to students who were simultaneously holding down a job, going to school, fighting with their um, caseworker to allow them to go to school because college doesn't count as a work requirement because they want them instead to go, you know, work a service job, become a CNA, whatever. And not, not, exactly. And not, and that's the, the, and that's again where we come back to policy, mm-hmm. right? Like that's a policy choice. That is a law that somebody lobbied for and put, and then it got put in place. So it's not an accident that they don't want to count college for low income women mm-hmm. as work, right? That's not an accident that for some reason we think that their educations don't count as educations, right? Like we have to recognize uh, why why it's important for that system and and this is it's not in every state why it's important for those systems um, to put them in a place where why do you want them continually working low-wage jobs right but that's that's sort of that's the things that these women are talking to me about and you want me to tell them about solar panels right like how exactly but the thing is climate change actually affects people of color more yeah oh than than white folks by far yeah by far they're um it affects us so much more when the air when it gets hotter it cooks smog causes more asthma attacks who has asthma right uh as you know, in Flint, whose water is getting poisoned, right? And then you think about, uh, we're at a place where like, there will be land lost, Yeah. right? Like some places are gonna go underwater. It is very unlikely that we're gonna be able to stop that. When those folks need to move, who's gonna get short-sighted by FEMA, Mm -hmm. right? Like these are the things that, that we mean when it affects, you know, people of color, more. Um, And then, you know, like who lives near the fossil fuel uh, facilities, you know, with the companies who are going to fight tooth and nail to keep those open until their dying breath, right? (laughs) That's the people who are going to be breathing in those toxic fumes. And so 
Um, and so we know that, and then globally, people of color are the ones, you know, when you think about Mozambique, who's getting hit by these storms? It's not Finland. Right. <laughs> it's not Denmark. Right. right. Like, so abroad, people of color are again on the first lines of, mm-hmm. of this. And but if you're not talking, people don't care unless it's literally affecting them and their family every single day. But when it's affecting yeah. the others that are disposable, it's nothing to talk about, guys, you know? And that's actually a term that uh, people will talk about called sacrifice zones which mm-hmm. is essentially, and they use that to describe frontline communities where heavily polluting fossil fuel, and it doesn't always, I mean, fossil fuel, so that means it could be like a coal fire power plant, it could be an oil refinery, it yep. could be a steel mill, yep. uh, and it could be petrochemical facilities. So like yep. on the Gulf where frontline communities, those are petrochemical. There's some of those are oil refineries, but they're also petrochemical factories. And so um, the fact that it doesn't affect everyone is also by design, right? So when people often ask me like, how does environmental justice fit with climate change? Like, aren't those, what do the pipes and flint have to do with emissions? And what I tell everyone is like, these things exist in the same system. So the only way that we're going to reduce emissions is, yes, to switch to renewable and clean power, right? Increase energy efficiency. Why are people so mad at that? Uh, Because of fossil fuel industries. So people talk money. So there's like like levels to it, though, Uh, because the fossil fuel companies have been working really hard there's a really great podcast called Drilled, which is like framed as a true crime podcast that just talks about like the ways that fossil fuel uh, companies fed disinformation about climate change, how long they knew and how long they started lying and the campaigns that they led in order to do this. So there's like levels why people don't believe. One is that fossil fuel companies have put in at this point, they knew about global warming for real, for real. I mean, we've known for at least a century, but they knew for okay. real, for real, like in 1980. Yeah. Uh, and they hit it. So that means that they have been spreading disinformation for at least 30 years. And they put money behind this, lots and lots of money. And the first thing that I tell people, it slows down things because if you can't define something as a problem, if you can't say definitively that it's happening, you can't pass laws about it. Mm. right so that's the first way that uh, groups will try yeah to stop policy there's lots of ways and one way is lobbying but one way is just putting out information that keeps muddying the waters about what's happening how bad it is what's causing it because as long as you do those things no one can move Mm. so that's one reason why it's harder is because a lot of people although it's like proven fact, there's still a lot of science, quote unquote, science out there um, that people have been imbibing for a long time that says, tells them that that's not real. And then the second thing is that fossil fuel companies are huge and they're very powerful. We're talking about like Exxon Mobil. Right. We're talking about uh, BP Shell. Like we're talking about, um, we're talking about some of the richest companies in the world. And 
Um, and then of course there's also utilities, which aren't all bad, yeah. right? Um, but utilities, if we change to renewable power, they have to change their business models. And heaven forbid. They don't necessarily want to do that, right? Um, and so some utilities are really opposed and they move a lot of money in state legislatures no, and, no. Lo- and local legislatures on the national level. So there's a lot, a lot of money moving from fossil fuels uh, to get, to essentially continuously tell um, legislators, particularly on the conservative side, how to feel about climate, what right. to do and how big of a problem it well. is. Yeah. Yeah. And then the third thing is like the U.S. is, we are now one of, well, we were before the pandemic, I have to check, but we were like one of the biggest uh, exporters of, of, I have to remember, is it oil or natural gas or both? But we were one of the biggest, essentially, exporters of some types of fossil fuels, mm-hmm. right? So it's not a small part of our economy, right? right? Um, and so there's a lot of things lined up where, essentially, people don't want to have to move to renewable energy um, because it will cause a lot of very rich people and a lot of very powerful people. Um, it will cost them a lot of money, potentially. Yeah. Um and the other thing that they fossil fuel companies were really uh, smart about because it wasn't on accident was using racial division to slow action, right? Because if you don't live near fossil fuel pollution, you probably don't think there's anything really wrong with fossil fuels, right? Like you know that it increases emissions, but for you, it's pretty neutral, right? right? You're not getting sick. No one's getting cancer, whatever. I mean, I developed uh, asthma likely because I lived in Inglewood's a, a frontline community, had no yeah. idea. But we have higher levels of air pollution than basically most of the city, especially on the south side. Um, and in Chicago, Chicago. Yeah, we're talking about Chicago. Uh, and I didn't figure out that it was... I've had asthma from that until I've been working on the Green New Deal for like a year. That is so crazy. Right? Like I thought, actually, we, the asthma was so prevalent and, you know, my family and my mom was like politically active and stuff. She was a well-informed woman. She, I don't think she had any idea. And it was to the point where like my family, we thought it was a childhood disease. Yeah. Right. We thought I grew out of asthma. You don't grow out of asthma. No, you do not. I moved. I moved. I went. And so and so even in, you know, some frontline communities, people might not know. But essentially what it means is that the people who are hurting from it are the people that are listened to the least. They're Mm -hmm. the slowest to be believed. So it buys them time. Right. No one's going to believe these black people are getting cancer from fossil fuel pollution. For how long? How long are they going to have to storm the Capitol, write their legislators, as opposed to if it was happening to, you know, a white suburb? Or Ivanka They're Trump. not. Mm. Or Ivanka Trump. They know. And so it's also a very clever use of racial divisions because the people who are saying, who are going to put the most, you know, who have the most firsthand experience of how bad this pollution is, um, they're the ones, you know, that 
that will probably be the most active saying, we got to get out of this. We got to get rid of this. And we silence them, right? The fossil fuel. I think it's so cool that you brought up the racial division thing because um, I have been, just me personally, and I have been wondering, is there an uptick in the number of cancer cases? Is there an uptick in the level of how harshly and how aggressive cancer is entering the body from like day two? Um, Because it feels like I'm, I'm 38, but I've been dealing with friends dying from cancer for several years now. Um, of course, family members that are older, but it just feels like it's becoming, I don't know. I don't know if it's just I'm paying more attention or is it happening at a higher rate and especially in the black community? And I'm, I'm thinking like, hmm, is it because of where we're living? Because of, you know, of course, racially, to me, most cities are still very racially divided. Chicago is one of them, um, racially segregated. Chicago is one of the most segregated places, even in 2020. Um, I live in New Jersey and it's still pretty segregated. Um, We actually had this huge thing the first year I moved here with this power plant that's moving literally across the street. Um, And I didn't I didn't think any, why would I think anything of it? I was like, okay, I mean, more jobs. Yay. That's how they marketed it. More hundred percent. I'm like, why are y'all mad about this? But on my next door app, I don't know if y'all on next door, but on next door app, people are go- like just fighting like crazy. And I actually took time to read both sides and I'm like, oh my God, this could be detrimental to our health. Maybe not this year, but in 10 years. And oh, yeah. so I'm like, no, we don't need this here. And there are other ways to create other jobs. And y'all are literally dropping this power plant in the middle of this huge, um, it's a it's an up and coming area, meaning it was more like it's on the waterfront. So it wasn't just, it wasn't developed. So mm-hmm. y'all, are, y'all see that this is becoming a developed, residentially developed place. And now you wanna bring in a power plant cause it's land here. There's a million people living right here. No, you can't do that. So it's stuff like that that I'm like, huh, has this been happening everywhere? And maybe that's causing an uptick in cancer cases and asthma and bronchitis and pneumonia, which is killing people. What do you think? So I don't have any official numbers. I don't want to speculate, but fossil fuel pollution definitely has been linked to cancer, right? I um, moved from Detroit a couple years ago and Detroit has like the, uh, Detroit is a hotbed for environmental justice issues. Um, And um, one of the state's most polluted zip code 48217 is in Detroit. And I remember talking to um, folks who live there, in particular, one activist, Emma Lockridge, and she was talking to me about how, you know, the fumes are so bad. Sometimes people can't walk outside. They wake her up at night. It's so bad. There have been, you know, multiple cases of cancer on her block, on the block next to them, mysterious growths. Like, um, so they, it's definitely... um, it's definitely connected to illnesses. And I think one thing that we do have data for that has really, uh, I think, opened people's eyes to the role of uh, environmental racism is COVID, right? COVID, um, we knew that Black folks are dying and being hospitalized at higher rates for COVID-19 
And uh, there's already been at least one study that links um, COVID-19 death to toxic air pollution. And if you actually look like in that first wave in June and July, mm -hmm. those hotspots, I remember looking at the hotspots in uh, Michigan and Louisiana, um, and I forget where else, uh, but it was basically if you had dropped dots on top of frontline communities, yeah, like they overlaid each other. And that's because black folks are exposed to more pollution, are getting more underlying issues, including respiratory issues. And then when COVID strikes, they are more vulnerable. And I feel like that opened some folks' eyes up. I remember at least hearing in DC in circles that I work with, people being like, oh, um, these two things actually are sort of much more immediately linked than, than oh, folks think. Right. And so that's why, you know, when people ask like, why is racial equity such a big part of the Green New Deal? Um, that's one reason why is that as long as there are people that you can poison without consequence, the fossil fuel industry will always have a loophole. And there is no reducing emissions to the levels at which we can have a livable, healthy climate, as long as fossil fuels are still being used um, at any rate close to what we're having right, right now, right? There's arguments, of course, for having to keep them in certain things like aviation, certain types of like heavy industry, like making concrete, um, because we're not we don't exactly know how to electrify those yet or how to replace those okay. sources of energy. We have to start somewhere. But, right, and people are making headway and that is, it's a it's a decent slice of emissions, but if you get the rest handled, you can sort of buy yourself time yeah. to keep innovating and figuring that out. But either way, it, what we do know is that like fossil fuels can't exist in the form that they exist and we really right. can't use them at all. Right. right. We have to be actively driving towards very quick, um, very quickly not using any fossil fuels. And mm -hmm. so as unless you are sort of dealing with some uh, with the questions of race and white supremacy and racial equity, it's just very difficult for me to see how you're going to be able to um, achieve the sort of decarbonization yeah. that we need. Um so what I want to know is about the Green New Deal, how it is going to attack these things. So um, in, 20, in 2009, Obama did create a climate change policy of sorts. Um, and it was thought to be kind of like the predecessor to what the Green New Deal is. It had a lot of, I was reading, it said it had a lot of green stuff in it, but it got buried because it was really part of a larger piece of legislation. And I just think it was part of a stimulus package, I believe. And a lot of people just weren't, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah Aura. So the last time we had a stimulus package, they invested about 90 billion, so about an eighth of all the spending in green investments, so like clean energy investments, right. weatherization, energy efficiency. And people were just mm -hmm. like, oh, we're not doing anything. And, and it's we don't need all of that. That's so socialist. But they don't realize that Obama actually 
put a lot of that in that legislation that everybody was here for. So I think that also now in 2020, people feel like, oh, we need something more direct. We need something that's like all green. So people know what we're doing and we can actually push it through because it benefits, you would think it benefits everyone. This shouldn't be a partisan issue. Um, And so, yeah, that's why we have the Green New Deal also playing off of, you know, FDR's New Deal. Um, So why do you get, why do you think it gets a bad rap by the Republicans and conservatives um, outside of money? Because I do think it's deeper than that. Um, If this is such something, they they were here for during Obama's term and they were, everybody, nobody had something to say about, I don't remember people just going off about it then. Why is it, why are we screaming socialism when we talk about these things that literally affect the lives of millions upon millions upon millions of Americans? Why is that socialism when it's not socialism when we're giving money to those to ExxonMobil and giving money to American Airlines and giving money to corporate bailout, uh, corporate, yeah, corporate bailouts basically um, in Wall Street? Why is that not socialism to save them? Right. But there's umpteen million people being affected by certain things. Um, and, and now with socialism to help that, even though it helps the whole country. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I'm not in any of their heads. My guess is two things. One is we are very open about trying to disrupt and rearrange systems of power and relationships of power that exist right now. Uh, And it actually says in the resolution um, um, to do so to redress historic injustices um, and legacies of oppression. So like that is what is in the resolution. So I encourage people to read the resolution. I think it's HR 109. Mm -hmm. It's the Green New Deal resolution. Um, And it was authored um, by, you know, co-sponsored and and authored by a bunch of folks came out of AOC and Markey's office. And uh, there are some lines in there that are real heat where it's like very open, where it's like we're trying to redress systems of uh, historic injustice. The New Deal left out people of color and women, et cetera. We're not going to do that again. And so I think that really fires them up because when you're talking about, so um, the Obama level, uh, the Obama administration's investments in clean energy uh, in the uh, American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. So that's what people think of as the big stimulus package that came out of 0809. So if you hear about when they were like extending food stamps, et cetera, like that all came out of ARA. And so stimulus bills, and it's similar to the CARES Act, right, uh, that we saw with COVID in the sense that those are big, what people call like stimulus bills. They have investments uh, going to like a bunch of places. They're these big omnibus packages and they're meant to essentially with one bill, move a bunch of money, start moving their purpose is to start moving money uh, in ways that um, provide financial relief to folks and really just try to like blunt, stop and cushion the recession. Right. Uh, and so um, they have an issue with the Green New Deal where they didn't have an ARA because ARA was great. Those green investments, like um, they're the they're some of the biggest reasons the U.S. has a solar and wind industry today because mm. it almost went under 
right. with the last recession. And these investments really not only um, sort of kept it going, but they purposefully invested in like the biggest solar demonstration projects, right? They were really trying to prove uh, that these technologies could work at scale so that private money would start flowing to them. And so if you just talk about that, Republicans have an issue with that, or, you know, they'll, they'll come at that as socialism, but you'll notice they're less, they were less vocal then, I think, because even though that's moving money and helping renewable energy, you're not talking about black people getting more power. You're not talking about workers getting more power. You're not talking about, you know, extending uh, the right to unionize. You're not talking about setting up a federal jobs guarantee. So that's, I think, a lot of what sort of makes people think the Green New Deal is more socialist is because they are very, in addition to power, I think the second thing is it's a very developed sort of social element Mm -hmm. of it. So it's not just about technology and innovation, which if you use those two words of climate change, generally folks on the right are, are into it. They like the idea of investing in new technologies. They like the idea of, you know, moving, um, you know, moving money to things that can make the U S more globally competitive in different markets. Right. And, um, and that is, great and important, but it's actually only one part of the solution, particularly now when we have, we want to stay below 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming, because Mm -hmm. when you go above that, you start to have really demonstrably negative effects. So you start to see far more wildfires, far more, um, I wish I could remember the numbers off the top of my head, but you're talking about you know, food production plummeting, right? When you reach two degrees warming of Celsius, you, you talking about like miles and miles and miles of coastland going under, right? Like it is just really. And apparently we're, we're like, we're, we can, we can get to that 1.5 or even two, I think they said like in 10 or 15 years, but apparently we're growing, we're getting there too fast. So. Oh yeah. We're, yeah. So we're like, if, Basically, every time they're redoing the calculations of how long before we hit 1.5, it's dropping drastically yeah. because we aren't reducing emissions. And in some cases, they're, they're, we're, we aren't reducing emissions on the scale that we need to. And so, you know, and so, but what that means is fossil fuels are like our food, right? Mm-hmm. And so imagine if all of a sudden humans stopped having being able to eat food and all we could eat was red algae right like immediately you're like oh that sucks but think about the ripple effects what would grocery stores look like who would grow it how would we move it right and then all of a sudden people who can grow red algae they stand to make a bunch of money right where all these other people are now that were developing food are losing money right how do you store all of these things uh and it would actually change the way the world looked right drastically yeah and that's not that different from fossil fuels right fossil fuels are the food that we eat they're the energy for our society uh and um there's a guy named jedediah purdy who talks about society being a body 
and so what that means is that when we pull off of fossil fuels, so many things change, right? It's not just that there's solar panels on, um, on roofs, right? It changes the way that utilities operate, right? It changes who controls energy, right? Right now, if you think about it, you have to get your power from a power plant. When it's renewable energy, you generate your own power. Right. What does that mean for your relationship, right? To energy, all of these things changes what industries we have. All of a sudden we have to build all this electric stuff. Cars change. Electric cars require maybe a 10th of the maintenance mm-hmm. of, of an, of a internal combustion engine vehicle. Those cars are completely different. They have completely different parts. You don't have to right? they, Like there's regular car makers, you know. There's, there's it. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so when you think about that, like think about all the auto body shops, the mechanics, et cetera. And so we're saying that like, because all of this changes, you also have to change the way that you support people. You have to have a safety net. If people's land or homes are going to go underwater, they need to be able to move, right? How do you move if they have employer sponsored health insurance, right? How they know to move if they don't know where a job's going to be, right? How are you going to move people from industries that no longer exist to good paying jobs and industries that do exist, right? Like all of those require a social safety net. And so the Green New Deal talks about a federal jobs guarantee. And to them, to a lot of people, they think that that shouldn't be a part of climate policy because it's not technical. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that's another reason they come at us because they're like, it's just a way to get liberal or progressive stuff is hand out to people. But if you think about it, isn't it much more responsible to to design an economic transformation than to just let it happen and then let employers do whatever they're going to do to people, let real estate developers control whatever markets as people are moving, right? Like why would, if you know that it's going to require all these changes, essentially the Green New Deal saying that the government should have a role in that because we have to protect people and we have to make sure that in this transformation, people, average people incur as little harm as possible because it's not their fault. So um, it seems to be a fundamental issue about whether people think that we should be equal or not, or whether we think that people are are entitled to a basic standard of protection and a basic standard of living. And I don't think everyone thinks that. And I think that's where the issue comes in. Yeah, totally. And that's essentially, that just gets to the heart of why I think the Green New Deal is picked out is because we're very open about it. And one of the things that I've talked about um, since the sort of beginning of this is we designed this to essentially try to figure out how would you transform an economy um, right. without acting like anyone was disposable. Uh, and so we're very open about believing that no one is disposable and about wanting to basically use this opportunity to shift power relationships so that that sense that no one is disposable continues, right? And through these institutions that we set up, through the way that we've approached 
um, restructuring our economy, the sort of rights that we have imbued with worker to workers uh, and that stuff. And that pisses a lot of people off. I think that gets to the heart of it. It's, I don't know, guys. I don't know. Okay. With that said, though, um, with this election right here, now there's, of course, down ballot positions as well as the presidential ticket. Who do you feel like, just a few people off the top of your head, who do you feel like pushes forward this agenda um, so that we can, and I, I don't think agenda is a bad term, but, you know, pushes forward this thought process and agrees with the Green New Deal or something like it um, that we can vote in so that we get, if we agree with this, we want it brought to the forefront. We want it to be executed. Yeah, so I'm at a C3, so I'm not allowed to answer. You can't address that. I cannot address that. I cannot address that. Okay. What I will say is that um, some like really basic candidate education on people's part should really help clarify yeah. that. Yeah. Um, can you suggest like books or articles or sites or podcasts that we should listen to other than drilling? I'm definitely going to listen to that or drill. I'm definitely going to listen to it that we can just get it, you know, to wrap our heads around this even more. Oh yeah. So drilled is great. Drilled is a really interesting uh, podcast. And um, I have to be very honest. The woman who runs it is a friend of mine, but she was an incredible, she's an incredible journalist and drilled is like very uh, well-regarded and it's very, it's a really, really good deep dive essentially into what the fossil fuel industry knew and what they kept us from knowing and the ways that they have used their power to impede progress cool. on these issues. Um, there's uh, another podcast called Hot Take, uh, which is host co-hosted by actually the journalist who is on Drilled and a Black woman who's a climate writer uh, named Mary Hegler. Uh, that's really good. Um, How to Save a Planet uh, is a new Gimlet podcast with um, Ayanna Johnson and uh, Alex Bloomberg. Uh, and they dive into a lot of things around climate change. And it's really good. They take on a lot of these sort of political questions more uh, about uh, candidates in the election. Uh, and though that's really great. Um, Mothers of Invention is a really good podcast. Um, that is all about women, especially women from outside the US and their work in climate change. So it's really dope to hear from a lot of women of color, uh, including a number of African women who are leading fights against climate change in various ways. What's like your favorite uh, series? My favorite what? Like your favorite docu-series that if we just had a Netflix and chill night where we wanted to be a little bit more educated, what should we watch? Uh, oh, that's a good, so there's a, a group called Years of Living, and they've done a number of things on uh, climate change. I'm trying to think of anything on Netflix. I'm sure there's something, but I'm not, I'm not, nothing is ringing a bell. Cool. Um, uh, but I think that that is great. And then um, there's a lot of uh, publications focused on climate. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the Atlantic just started like uh, a whole like set 
uh, of work just about climate. I forget it's a new project, um, but that I think is promising. Um, but I would also say there's a book out called uh, Winning the Green New Deal um, uh, and All We Can Save. And those are essay compilations, both about All We Can Save is about feminist uh, women uh, and their different approaches to climate change. And it's cool because there's a lot of art. So there's a lot of poems, there's visual art. Oh, nice. Uh, and um, a bit more uplifting. Uh, and then Winning the Green New Deal is a set of essays that was edited by the Sunrise Movement um, about sort of the development and the principles and the ideas behind the Green New Deal. Um, and they have some, I wrote an essay in both of those books, um, but I wrote an essay uh, in that book, but there's great sort of like um, some more work around like, essays about the impact of racism and uh, climate change, environmental justice. Um, so it's a good read if you wanna like dig into the Green New Deal and where it comes from, what it's about, et cetera. Uh, we don't want the population to be wiped out, guys. We don't want coffee to run out because it will, if we don't do something, what are farmers gonna grow? Like we just, there's certain things that are going to affect our everyday life. And I just think this is such an important conversation to pay attention to. Um, one of the things that I get very frustrated about or that I've realized over the last year or two, I think, um, is that there's an issue with short-sightedness in this country. And it may be global, I don't know, but I only live in America, so I can only speak to this here. There, It feels like people just have this issue with seeing past step one or seeing past step two. And I understand that climate change is not affecting you today. It might not, even though it kind of is in a lot of ways, because we could talk it about- It is. I mean, those wildfires, <laughs> the really hurricanes, is. like, it is here. We talk about it as though it's coming, but it's here. It, it's already uh, here. It's going to be it's already here. We can't reverse it soon. And I yes. get that that's hard to wrap your head around. Um, but we have to try harder to do that. Um, and you can't just wait until the world blows up. Even though I do feel like some people want that. Some people do want the world just to blow up. Some people do want I've always said that even like with COVID, we keep saying, oh, 200,000 people have died. I don't think certain people care. And we can keep saying these numbers over and over. I don't think it matters. It could be 200 million. And they would be like, it is what it is. I think that some people just like to see ish blow up and they like to see the world re be recentered around them. They like to see the disposable people be disposed of all in one swoop. So it's kind of like we can keep this back and forth in this part of bipartisan situation and you know debating on what's needed and what's not. But fundamentally, we're not all on the same page. So I don't think it's going to matter. I think they want to see the wildfires. They want to see the floods because it's not affecting them. And it gets rid of the people that they don't want anyway. They don't even think are American anyway. Um, so to that, I say, this is why you have to go hard, just like they go hard for who they want in office by any means necessary, like literally will break laws to put people in office. You have to go hard for what, who you feel like needs to be there too. We don't, we don't have to keep playing small. 
Yeah. And I would say that like, I really am, I feel really strongly about wanting more black people, especially to get involved with climate uh, and these green new deal fights, right. Whether that's in sort of through the electoral lane, whether that's through community activism, whatever sort of um, lane you feel comfortable in, because what is coming is coming, right? Um, And the changes that we need to make moving off of fossil fuels, moving to renewable energy and clean energy, right? The ways that we have to remake our world in order to um, minimize climate change, right? Uh, As much as possible, those things, those things have to be done. They don't change and they're not gonna change based on who's president. They're not gonna change based on, right? Like they exist, but what it also means, and I think about this a lot is it creates, I think an opportunity that I didn't think that I would have in my life uh, to really seriously ask, to redesign and restructure, Mm -hmm. right? to ask like, what do we need now and how do we get it and how do we build it? Um, Because the thing is, things are gonna need to be rebuilt, right? There's no, we're gonna have to change our electric grid. There's no way around it. We're gonna have to, right, make homes more energy efficient if we're gonna actually do these things. There's no way around it. And so if it's gonna have to be designed anyway, if we're not there, it's gonna be redesigned without us in mind and probably to our detriment. And so it's not a question of like, yeah, it's not a question of like, do you want to do it or will it? It, It's like a question of it's going to happen. Do you want someone to decide for you or do you want to help decide? A lot of people just want to sit on the sidelines, even with the presidential election, like, well, both sides suck and both sides do this. And so why does it matter? I mean, it's so guess what? A president is going to be elected regardless. It's not like if all black people sit down and vote for no one. Or if all black people just don't pay attention to the Green New Deal, then climate change isn't going to happen. And if nobody votes for the president, no president will be elected. No, there's going to be, it's going to happen. So either you participate and maybe you get nowhere. I don't know. But either you participate or you don't. And I think that that's what needs to be drilled home, especially with something like climate change. Um, You see, it's already hard to get people to vote for a doggone president. So. I don't know, um, but people just have to wake up and 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 have to pay attention. So with allergies and asthma, th- I learned something recently. I have horrific allergies, like horrific, and I've had them since I've been a baby. No matter where I live, born and raised in Chicago, our families actually, guys, grew, um, lived next door to each other most of our lives. So that's how I know Rihanna. <laughs> So yeah. she understands what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, so born and raised in Chicago, then lived in Louisiana, lived in Texas, lived in New York. It does not matter. My allergies are on a hundred no matter where I live. And something that I learned is that, well, one, I'm horribly allergic to pollen, ragweed, and um and and dust and, and stuff like that, but also grass, which I didn't realize until I went to an allergist. Something that I found out is that cities, and this is why politics matter, cities will buy 
the trees that you see that give off pollen and stuff like that, those are male trees. Only male trees have pollen. And so cities buy male trees because they're the cheaper trees. So when you when it comes to city planning, that's that's what you're going to get. And they're buying it because it's cheaper. If we bought female trees, we wouldn't have a pollen issue, but they're more expensive, so they don't care. So I always say men find a way to screw us over, whether it's greenery or humans, some kind of way they're going to screw us over and that sucks. But things like this, do y'all see what I'm saying? Like if you have horrible allergies like me, do you see the connect now, even with politics, the type of things that are in the air when people, how often people keep up greenery in a city um, or how often they mow the lawns in a city, all these things are in the air and they're getting in the air quicker and earlier every single year. It's not cold enough to freeze the pollen spores. It's also not hot enough to burn them off. So it's just doubling, tripling, quadrupling every single year. And this is what's hurting us. As allergies can become asthma, asthma can become bronchitis, and that can lead to pneumonia, which kills people. Because we all know a yeah. lot of black people don't like going to the doctor. So guys, it matters who's in your city offices. It matters who's in office, period because everything affects your health, no matter if you think it does or it doesn't. Yeah, and like it matters too. I'm just beyond the, well, what am I trying to say? I'm just trying to say the effects last for years. I just had walk, walking pneumonia last October. No. And it was really wild Yeah, uh, because I was like, oh, this thing is still affecting me. Yes. Because, because my husband got sick and he didn't get it. He didn't get pneumonia. I got sick with the same thing he did and I got pneumonia, right? Um, and- Does he have asthma? Hmm? He, have asthma? he does, he does. He, um, uh, it, it doesn't affect him as much, but he does, yeah. There's a period where he was getting bronchial pneumonia like yes. every, every spring. spring. Yeah, yeah, like for like two or three years. I know somebody, and that and it started to happen as an adult, and that's what people. Yeah, do. he was an adult. Oh, they we learned. Were in our say, I don't have that. You do now. Welcome to the environment. Like you do now. So yeah, it sucks. Um, everything's affecting us, guys. And the thing is, it's also I I drive people crazy. I think talking about how everything's a system, but we also have to think about the sort of indirect of that effects of that can hurt black people more too. So thinking about um, when I was in, um, sorry, someone's messaging me and it got me distracted. Um, <laughs> By the way, oh, she, um, she just finished two papers that she's been working on for six months. So that's why there's a lot going on. Um, but she's multitasking like a G. So go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, asthma, uh, I was talking about, we were talking about asthma. Da, 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 da. Oh, right. The knock on effects. Um, so when I think about growing up, I knew at least one kid who was like regularly hospitalized for asthma. Oh, wow. She was in and out. And that wasn't an uncommon experience in, you know, from other kids I know who live uh, in frontline communities or just in the hood in general. Uh, but even my mom, I 
basically every spring would get sick and she would have to take off time. But she was lucky. She owned her own nonprofit. Um, uh, so, um, but it was still hard for her. But if you think about who, who's more likely to work shift jobs, right? Where if their children go into the hospital, they could be at risk of losing their jobs, black women, right? There's already achievement gap. So whose children are going to be, whose educations are getting affected the most when they're out of school repeatedly, black kids, right? Black kids are more likely to be having, you know, severe asthma where they're regularly hospitalized, right? So you have on all of these knock-on effects, it's just asthma, but then you have effects on uh, a parent's income, on their ability to hold down a job, perhaps on that child's education, right? And so we have to remember too, that when we say uh, climate change affects uh, when at least when I say climate change affects our community more, that's the thing that I'm talking about, right? So like you said, when allergies are that bad or when it's getting hot and smog is getting intensified because of the heat, who's going to the hospital more? And then whose mom's job is, or father's job is in jeopardy, right? Who's less likely to have good uh, medical insurance? So they're taking their child to whatever Medicaid clinic they can get to, right? Like these are the one thing because we live in a society that is so racist and honestly racism is throughout all of our systems. When this one thing, climate change becomes a cascade of a thousand issues for us, yeah. right? And so it really, really matters because it's not just like, you know, we're the ones living in the more polluted communities. That's part of it. But we're also the ones that are going to deal with the worst of these knock-on effects yes. in a way that people who don't live in our bodies, right, uh, who aren't treated the same way by this country, won't. I don't even, you said it all. I don't even know what to say, y'all. It's, it's too much. It feels like it's impossible. All right. So let's wrap this up. Is there anything that you want to leave our audience with? Um, I would just say that climate change is not nearly as one. It's not as distant as we all think of. I was actually um, reviewing something today and they were like, well, uh, emissions will help, will hurt something in the long term. And I was like, the long term is like this decade. Like, we're not talking about decades on decades or even centuries on centuries. We're talking about a slate of disastrous changes that we will definitely, we're already starting to see, and that will just intensify over our lifetimes. Right. Um, and so it's urgent because it's here and the only path forward if we don't do anything is worse right there's no it's not going to sort itself out on its own it's not going to work out it's going to be bad um and so but i would say the other side of that is that like you can get involved in climate change if you don't understand all the technical terms for a long time i think it's felt really difficult. It felt really difficult for me to start in this work. And I think it can feel difficult for other Black people or just really people in general, because sometimes it feels like unless you can talk about 
Celsius or carbon footprints or whatever, you shouldn't be talking about climate change, but it's so much more than that. So there's always space for you to get involved and you are always affected by it because you, everybody lives in a physical environment. We don't live in our heads and we don't live in a vacuum. Right. And so, um, so this is also about us being good ancestors, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, something that I love, uh, uh, an uh, indigenous woman, a native writer, Sherry Mitchell, she talks about how uh, in Native American uh, religions, um, at least the ones that she she's familiar with, there's um, uh, a sense that actually everyone's immortal they yeah. say, and that's because your actions reverberate for right. far longer than you're on the earth. Uh, and I actually think that's a really good framework, especially when we're thinking about short-termism. Mm-hmm. And I think where we're in this moment with George Floyd, and I don't know, I've been reflecting a lot on my ancestors, like what my grandmother went through, what they marched for, what those moments felt like, uh, what it would what it felt like to, you know, my grandmother, like born during the Great Depression in Mississippi, right? Like, um, and the ways in which like they've given me strength and made me feel prepared for this fight. Like we are supposed to do that for other people. And so particularly around climate change, this is really about what kind of world we're going to leave behind and really about what kind of ancestors we are trying to be. Uh, and we have to just like really take that seriously. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, y'all heard it all. Um, oh, by the way, what was your degree in, in, in college? Oh yeah. So <laughs> this is funny. Cause my mom was not pleased. My double, I was a double major in African-American studies and women's gender and sexuality studies. And so I actually did a joint concentration in black feminism. Okay. Uh, and which I like made up and luckily my department supported. I was supposed to be uh, English poli sci double major and then go to law school. And so you're supposed to take my become route. a journalist. Oh, yeah. So I would really take this route. <laughs> yeah, I was supposed to do that. And then oh, I switched to these majors. My mom was so unhappy. She was like, are you ever gonna get a job? Uh, who's gonna hire you for that? And um, and I went to Yale, which is a liberal arts school. I was so gonna say have, it's not like you don't have a useful ma- Yale, like yeah. And we also didn't have pre med or pre, you know, like the things that like black parents want you to do. Right. <laughs> I like did they didn't really have it? No, I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I did that, and she actually was not convinced that I would get a job consistently until I won a Rhodes scholarship. And then she was like, oh, someone will employ you to do something forever. I was like, thanks, mom. Oh my gosh. Uh, and so now she, <laughs> now she's like less, less concerned. Yeah. Oh, um, but I mean, I didn't know that my field existed when I was right. growing up. So, but yeah, so those are my major. So I was um, FAM um, women's studies, double major at Yale. And then I did my master's of philosophy, which is uh, a two year master's degree in the UK. Uh, it's like a research heavy one. So a lot of people take that and then go straight to a doctorate and use it for the beginning of their doctorate. And so I did mine in um, comparative 
social policy. Right. At Oxford? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so- I actually studied policy formation in municipal police departments. So I did field work oh. in Chicago and Philly police departments. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it was all about sort of what do police think causes violent crime and how does that shape the ways that they decide to police? Maybe you should um, be the Wendy Acefo. Is that how you pronounce her name? Maybe you should be that for, where are you living now? Are you still in Boston or are you back in Chicago? I'm in, no, I'm in D.C. Oh, you're in D.C. That's right. Maybe you should join Housewives of Potomac as oh, nah. the opposite. Like, you know what I mean? Nah, bro. Like, you and Wendy have the same type of situation. <laughs> have really different things in a way. No, yeah. No, that's like the opposite of my vibe. I mean, well, maybe it should be Real Housewives of DC. Didn't they try that and it failed? I don't remember. Yeah, and then the one, no, and then the one couple, they were the ones that like crashed that Obama state dinner that caused. Uh, yes, yes, you one of the housewives on Real Housewives of DC, the Leahy or something like that. Oh yes. my god, they yes, yes, that they were was them. Yes, yes. So okay, let's reboot Andy Cohen. <laughs> let's reboot Real Housewives of DC. And Rihanna will be the anchor person because she's basically the Wendy Acefo, but like younger and with a different focus with climate change. Let's do it. I just, I just cast the show and I pre- I'm going <laughs> to, we're done. It will, I would make like really boring TV. I just, I'm a, I'm a Libra sun, Taurus moon. So mm-hmm. one of my favorite activities is sitting. Uh, and, you know, so it's just like, it's not my vibe, but I'm glad it's other people's vibe and I'll be happy to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, y'all know the deal. Um, oh, wait, where can we find you? Oh, yeah. So I'm most active on Twitter. I can't really maintain many multiple socials. I don't know how people do that. Uh, so my Twitter is guns. So R G U N N S, uh, and then I'm I occasionally post on Instagram, and the um, my handles are Gunner, but those are really the only two. Perfect. And I love TikTok, but I don't TikTok. I just watch them. <laughs> She's not out here dancing. All right. Well, we will post um, her handles in the description, and it's also right here on the screen for y'all. And y'all know the deal. Visit theybf.com for all your celebrity entertainment and gossip news, um, as well as YBF politics news. And please go vote. It's like here, like now. The deadline's here. Just do it. Get in your life and um, research, like Rihanna said, the candidates that will push this agenda forward if this is something you believe and you should, that should be front and center. All right, guys. Thank y'all for watching. Thank you, Rihanna, so much for doing that. Oh, thank you. All right, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.